0: Back. Bless Your Boys podcast, bringing you the week in baseball news from a Detroit Tigers perspective. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let us get the show on the road. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we've got a couple special guests tonight. Um, just trying to uh, survive the old coronavirus here and uh, keep finding some ways to, to get some baseball discussion going without the baseball. Um, we've got our buddy Mark Garage of the Don't Call It a Team Build podcast, and Cody Stavenhagen of MLB, or I'm sorry, The Athletic Detroit. I'm rusty at this myself right now. How are we doing tonight, gentlemen?
1: <laughs> uh, thanks for having me, B. I, uh, anything that there is to do that's I've exhausted every useful. I'm I'm now watching some things on Netflix for the second and third time now. So.
0: Yeah, yep, I feel you there. I've been uh, I've been rereading books and yeah, you know, rewatching shows, trying to watch some new things. Um, you know, just just whatever uh, whatever we can uh, manage to keep things going. Um, you know, I figure we, we might even just talk about some of these uh, some of these things like what we're doing to occupy ourselves. Um, but let's uh, let's kind of start off with the state of the uh, state of the situation here. I'm, I'm sure you guys all read um, Ken Rosenthal's article for the Athletic um, the, the other day, basically about the attempts to kind of game plan for, for a potential season. Um, do, any uh, any key takeaways from that that you that you found there, Cody? What you? Uh, how are you feeling about the odds that the, that the league can put together some kind of you know half season without fans, if that's what it comes to?
2: Yeah, it's, it's just so hard to know. And it seems like, the honestly, the prognosis is getting kind of grimmer by the day. But you wonder, is that just our mindset right now? I think really, we really, we just can't predict. You know, we're not going to have baseball in May. I don't know that we're going to have baseball in June. Uh, but if this curve flattens, if you look at some of the projections, I mean, I feel like there's a shot we could have a season probably with no fans in July, but that's just my guess, right? I don't know, and I'm not a medical professional. And really, until we have the data and the numbers, uh, I don't think we can make that determination. And I think that's probably why baseball is considering so many different options, so many different avenues. They want to kind of be ready for for anything, but it does seem like Rob Manfred and, and the rest of Major League Baseball are making a pretty concerted effort So try to play if at all possible. Basically, if state, local, national officials will allow it, I think they'd like to have a season, and it might end up being some of the best marketing uh, MLB's gotten in a long time, if it can be done. The big question is just if, and uh, if you read Ken Rosenthal's piece, there's a story in the Washington Post yesterday. The more you read, it really sounds to me like the idea of having fans in a stadium just probably isn't going to be feasible, but, but I sure hope I'm wrong.
0: Well, I mean, it just all comes down to, like you said, like we we just don't really know. And the initial decisions that MLB all had to make were, of course, under extreme duress with, you know, very, very low amount of information. And so it probably makes sense to, you know, try to game plan for a lot of different scenarios. But there's just so many there's so many factors from the fact that this is, you know, this is an international situation, of course. And so, you know, what what Canada decides to do, you you know, can have some some impact on the league. Um, you know, they're talking obviously about just trying to do this at a couple of, a couple of stadiums, um, you know, presumably maybe out in Arizona and using the, the spring training complex out there for something like that. Uh, it just seems really, really difficult because while we might get the curve flattening in New York and some of the hot spots might die, die down, we just don't know if it, if it might continue to bubble up in the South or the Southwest where we haven't quite seen it get so bad yet. Yeah. It's just, um. Really, one of those situations where all you can do is plan for a lot of different contingencies and and hope for the best. I suppose you're right.
1: Well, I think they have a few logistical issues that they have to hurdle, but once they did, um, there may be a, a way to see. There, there are some possibilities to being able to do this. There's, there's ten. There's, there's basically ten ballparks they could play in within you know, the greater Phoenix area. Um, but first, first and foremost, you know, it's very, it's conceivable six weeks from now that they could have testing that would allow them to identify, uh, players that have had it players that haven't had it. Um, if there's any way to take things that build up immunity, you know, you know, I'm, Obviously, they're going to play in empty parks, but if there's 10 parks, um, you know, it tells you that you could easily play, you know, 15 games a day because you could, you know, play play some in the afternoon, some in the evening. And I can promise you that the television networks, especially in the summertime, are going to go insane, loving the idea that they could broadcast games. Yeah. So uh, I don't have any idea the, fin- the financial remuneration they'll have to modify obviously an existing contract but there's probably a good way to do that and, and if they have testing and they can make sure that you know people that you know the, the players the trainers management stadium workers people that have to drive them to and from games all the logistical individuals that are involved in getting you know 60 players to a game because i the rosters yeah. are going to be, you know, it's going to be sixty to seventy people between, you know, coaches and associated players. You, you have to be able to figure out how to protect them from becoming infected. So I would imagine it would be a nightmare trying to figure out how to house, you know, fourteen hundred people that would be there playing major league baseball for essentially uh, two months. But it's, well,
0: and you've also and you've also kind of. You're going to need to kind of isolate all those those people, the the umps, you know, yeah, the coaches, the yeah. players, their families, I, possibly. I,
1: um, but, but but I think that we're we're discounting how much further along certain testing and uh, treatment methodologies will be sixty days from now, and because just think of how much, yeah how many innovations they've started to discuss in just the last 14 days, you know, in the next 30, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few. I mean, I talked to, I have a relative that runs uh, Ascension Hospitals in the state of Michigan, all 18 hospitals, and and he he was explaining, you know, they, they basically now have a test that, you know, for especially the workers that, you know, obviously I it's been in the news quite a bit recently that, you know, there's there's going to be the testing protocol is going to be much quicker and much more accurate. and It's only going to improve. So it's not an impossibility. Logistically, it will not be simple, but I don't think it will be in hospital it, 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 impossible. The other thing that's really interesting about uh, Phoenix is because it's such a, a tourism oriented city. There's probably more housing available than you might think. So it's you know you can rent a house in Phoenix probably pretty easy.
0: Uh, well, the question, yeah, and at a, know, at a certain point, that's you know that's just gonna be a, a, a monetary thing. Like uh, you know, and the league has plenty of money. I'm sure you know that that will probably not be one of the yeah one of the tougher things to solve. I mean, it just all comes down to testing, really, doesn't it? This is all about uncertainty. Um, the lack of, of any clarity has been the hardest thing to deal with all the way along through this thing. And hopefully, you know, we're, we're obviously you know we've been behind and everything, but hopefully in the in a month or two, yeah, th- there'll be enough testing and readily available testing that they can at least kind of keep you know keep tabs on the players and everyone else involved. So yeah, I mean, maybe there's some hope there. I would I would agree.
1: What would you guys, if you you know, on a, a percentage? <clears throat> speculation. We've done this <laughs> a few podcasts in the last few weeks, and you know the dates keep getting pushed out. We're already far beyond my initial projection, but what, on a percentage basis, what do you guys think the likelihood that they're able to start some modified form of a season up, say, 4th of July? What do you, what do you, what do you think the percentage is, likelihood?
2: Yeah, I think two weeks ago I would have said 90%, and I think now I would say, I don't know, 30, 40.
0: Yeah, I've been kind of saying July 1st or 4th, you know, all along, and, yeah, I'm starting to think it's it's less less likely, but not but as you say, not impossible. Um, it's just the problem is that once you know when you can go, it, you know, you're still going to need, a you know, at least a month, I would imagine, to sort of put the whole thing together once you have a timetable. Um,
1: Absolutely,
0: and we're probably you know it's hard to imagine us having a timetable until you know late late May, mid May, maybe something like that. We'll have a have a decent idea. Um, So I don't know, and maybe you can extend things into the you know maybe you can extend things further into the fall and make something work. I'm not sure.
1: I mean, I kind of love the idea of having a 90 or 100 game sprint to the finish. I think it's cool as hell. Makes all the games pretty meaningful, pretty quickly. So,
0: <laughs> well, it could be, g- you know, And you're also going to have, you know, expanded rosters. So, you know, teams that have, you know, perhaps more ready-made, you know, starting pitching or or bullpen help ready in the, the upper minors. Um, there might be an advantage there. Like, yeah, there's going to be some interesting, some interesting, you know, things to think about as far as, you know, what the gameplay is going to be like.
1: When else has baseball ever had a captive audience and... They should be trying to figure out a way how to make it as much fun as humanly possible. that That's my theory. So, because I, I'm not so sure they're going to be <laughs> people sitting in football stadiums either. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's there's a lot of what-ifs going on here. But I, I I think baseball has a huge opportunity if the testing allows for them to you know, create a playing environment.
2: Mm -hmm. I I think you're right. I think you make a good point, Mark, about how much fun this could be if it gets off the ground. Like, imagine a a July 4th opening day. Imagine a 100-game season where everybody's in it, you know. Even if you follow the Detroit Tigers, uh, you're going to have a couple months at least where where you're not totally out of it. Um, Right. it's going, so I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: I mean, and the Tigers, you know, the tig- Tigers have a knack for coming out, you know, red hot for the first, uh, you know, two, three weeks of the season. <laughs> so, yeah, you could be into this, you know, we could be into it into September.
1: But imagine if you were able to be like, you know, cert- look, baseball, it happens every year the same way. There's going to be teams after 40 games that are 17 and 23, that you th- like the Yankees, that you thought were going to be great, right? And then... Who says a team like the Tigers can't be twenty and twenty after forty games? And now, if you're twenty and twenty after forty games, and they have some weird expanded playoff format, how do you not start saying to yourself, "Well, uh, what can we do to make this more fun? Maybe, maybe you know, let's take a shot." And you at least hope they would do that. They don't have to go out and mortgage anything of their future, but it would probably you know make you want to give some consideration to fast tracking some of your kid arms and try to figure out how to piggyback them or something heck yeah you would. Yeah why wouldn't you?
2: Yeah I think I think the tigers would do it. I think all would gladly do it if, if they felt they were in some level of contention. Uh yeah I don't think they'd uh you know make trades or, or anything ridiculous. I don't even would there even be a trade deadline? You know that's a question as no. well.
1: Uh, yeah maybe maybe i think after 70 games they probably would go look okay you know no no, no trades you know they figure out whatever the equivalent corresponding date to something yeah something like that so, you know I, so here's the other crazy ass question what do you do with the minor leagues are you gonna let minor leagues play in an empty stadiums or are you gonna send them all to florida What?
0: Yeah, what are you going to do there? Well, that's a question I really want to want to get into, yeah, get into it with with Cody as far as like, you know, some of the things you saw in the spring, but real quick, has did any, does anyone remember the game that the Orioles played a couple years ago where, you know, there was some unrest in Baltimore and they played to an empty stadium? Did anybody watch yeah. that game? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was really weird. Awesome. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> like I could see it, you know, I could see it working, but but I keep having these visuals of like an empty stadium and you know, Joe Buck trying to, uh, you know, trying to talk over the silence, you know, as opposed to the excitement that he's usually toning down um, the whole thing. just It'll be strange, but, you know, we're all we're all so hungry for baseball. I just I don't care about that at this point. That'd be uh, that'd be totally fine. But yeah, um, Cody, do you have any idea um, what, what's going on with the minor leaguers right now? I assume guys are training at home, but um, what, what do you feel about the impact of, of them losing a couple months of um, development time here?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's we spend so much time talking about the major leagues and that's complicated, and then you go to the minor leagues and it's just like, it, you know, wow, it's incredible. Not only are these guys losing what's probably important developmental time, you know, the guys who don't have big bonuses obviously are losing money. You have guys stocking shelves and stuff right now looking um, for work, even though the league has finally taken some measures to, to keep some paychecks coming their way. It's not an easy time. Yeah. um And, and yeah. So I, as far as I know, most of the vast majority of these guys, uh, Tigers system, are back home, and and that's probably tough on a rebuilding team like the Tigers. As much as I think it could actually improve the chances of a guy like Casey Mize uh, debuting if there's a season this year. I mean, you want these guys getting innings in Triple A right now, and that's not going to happen. Instead, they're Oh, I don't know. Throwing a bullpen in their like garage or something like that. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's 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 really weird. And I think the league is devoting so many, so much of its efforts to sort things out at, at the MLB level. You know, it's it's easy for these minor league guys to kind of get forgotten about. And then, yeah, you raise the question: Okay, say so you have a major league season, can you have a, a minor league season? Uh, I don't, I don't know the answer to that one. It'd, it'd be tough. Even tougher to pull off, uh, there's not as much money. It'd be harder to keep those guys isolated, harder to keep them safe. Um, it's, it's another huge concern. I wouldn't think it would be a fun time to be a uh, player in the low-level minors, especially a guy who doesn't have a, a big signing bonus. It's, it's, uh, it's tricky.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. even before the you know the the current situation, you know the the lower level guys are already kind of under assault. I mean, you know, we've been talking since the end of last season about the you know the the plans to contract the minor leagues and you know the fact that any pay raises that come to to the minor leaguers are are most likely you know going to be the result of them cutting um, a, a lot of the lower level guys out. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's a real tricky time and, and this it's- might
2: accelerate that movement, you know. If if there's no minor league season or a shortened one, I think that will give them a little more credence or make it a little more easier for major league baseball to say, "Hey, let's cut 40 minor league affiliates in a year or two from now."
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cover available I, I, right now to to do a lot of the things that they were going to do already that that weren't very popular um to a lot of people and yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes, unfortunately, in a situation like this. Not that we have that much experience with something quite like this, but yeah, you know, it just feels like they're gonna they're gonna take that opportunity to um, to cut those guys out um, right now. And yeah, you know, for a rebuilding team, it's hard to you know I don't want to say that it's harder on a rebuilding team than it is on you know a team that thought they were going to win the World Series um, and now has to kind of deal with all this uncertainty, like the Yankees or Astros, etc. But it, but it does present some. Some weird challenges and seems to to turn the timetable back on a lot of guys because you know it's not just developmental time obviously for hitters but for or the starting pitchers especially it's that progression in in workload and in innings that is just gonna I, you know it's just gonna be impossible that's a, that's already shot this year so yeah there's um, a lot of unique challenges involved there for sure.
1: Well, I I, I think that investigative journalist Cody Stavenhagen needs to. <laughs> start start using some of his resources and talk to some of the people at the athletic and find out what the answer is on that minor league question because I think it's a hell of a question okay what team is going to suck suffer from that more than the Detroit Tigers that's just a nightmare scenario for the Tigers having minor leaguers losing an entire year of development that's just what a nightmare that's got to be for them so I'd be curious what the plans are of I mean I could easily understand assembling a game plan to play major league games there's way too much money in it for sure, the players are into it. They want their damn money. They're getting paid, you know, ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, you know, I mean, Miguel Cabrera. I think if I'm not, my math is good. He makes a uh, hundred and makes almost two hundred thousand dollars a game. So uh, I, I would, if I was Miguel, I'd I'd want to make sure we played some baseball. But you <laughs> know, these minor league guys, that's just a whole different set of logistics and where would you play it and how do you play it you don't have tv money fueling it it's it's a weird yeah i mean it's a really weird question yeah
0: minor league baseball is funded entirely you know like like an amusement park you know basically at the at the minor league level for the the affiliate and without the stadium and the concessions and ticket sales and all that there's there really is no minor league baseball so yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be uh, that's gonna be a touchy subject. I wonder if there, I wonder if there's some way they could do something where you wouldn't have to burn an option, but you could, but you could use you know your top prospects somehow. <laughs> like to get your best guys at least some game experience um, sometime this year. I'm not, I'm not sure how that would work. Um, and obviously the MLBPA, you know, would be. In charge of that and of course they'd be negotiating about the rights of guys who aren't you know aren't their clients yet so that never seems to work out well for anyone. <laughs> That's
2: the thing like we're just now you know getting to the surface there's so many ripples of all of this are there teams um, like the Tigers or teams in even smaller markets that would not call up a prospect because theoretically you then have to pay that guy more and you don't have any gate revenue, you don't have any concession revenue. I
0: mean,
2: every team, even though they're very wealthy, they're going to be hurting financially. And then those that tend to pinch pennies, that could influence some roster decisions as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is all going to kind of, you know, you know, only further the sort of Astrosification of, of major league baseball, the, the corporatization of, of major league baseball, where they're trying to be, you know, incredibly efficient with their spending at, at levels that most fans don't even think about. Um, in terms of their development staff, their scouting, all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, the fallout here is gonna be um, gonna be, you know, drastic and, and far reaching and it's probably not something we can we can really unpack to much degree yet.
1: Well, I, I think all this is paradigm changing for the game. I mean the game has by far been the slowest moving sport in America at getting in, you know, to move moving forward tweaking the rules tweaking the way how they do things i mean obviously with the advent of all this technology in the last 5 years it's totally changed 100% how you evaluate players i mean there is there's no discussion about that but the fact that you can now do all these things and you know you're getting ready it, it, this now you lose a year of development for the robo strike zone which i have probably in the minority but you know i'm hugely in favor of it i like the consistency
0: yeah, I'm in favor of
1: it. I, I yeah. like the, yeah, I, I I like the consistency of every park. It's a you know it's a strike, same same pitch, same times every day of the season. There's no arguing. It's not the guy you know had a bad night the night before and he missed two pitches right in the middle of the sequence. The changes, there's all that stuff's got to stop. And yes, I understand that technology needs to be retrofitted and and. I'm not saying it's a it, it's a go until Harry Pavlidis tells me it's a go. That's been yeah. my theory for a few years. And when people like Harry say we're good to go and we've come up with a a compromise where everybody can live with what's a strike and what's a ball, then it's probably a time you know i'll be I'll be looking forward to that day. But the point is the game has a huge opportunity here to move itself forward with technology, with some expanded rosters within the way they play it. Uh, how they promote it, it they, they're going to find out a few things, and you know, hopefully, they take advantage of it. You know, historically, they've been very, very slow to change. Look at other sports. I mean, you know, hockey's taken out the red line. They've changed overtime. They, and the NBA isn't even remotely close to what it was 25 years ago in the way they play the game. Football. They've changed hash marks. They've changed overtime. They've changed rosters. The it, it, the style of play is totally. Different baseball. Baseball's like you know, it's like Cooperstown, man. It's 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 only these last few years that things changed, and you know they weirdly have a huge opportunity to change things. And people are going to not like a lot of it, but you know, with this strange season, maybe we see it as precursor to them getting a little more progressive, a little more innovative, and start trying to figure out. I've never understood why. You have a twenty-five, now twenty-six-man roster where you have two or three starting pitchers that are. You got the pitcher pitching tomorrow and the pitcher that pitched yesterday. What the heck are they active for? It's the craziest thing I ever heard of. I mean, look at hockey. Hockey, hockey. has rosters you have a certain football, same thing. Basketball, the same thing. You have X amount of guys on your roster. This is who's active for this day. Okay, it's, it's baseball,
0: true, but but you know, baseball is you know, pitching is so different. Like nobody else you know, injures themselves to the point that they can't play for two days, you know, every time that they go out there the way a starting pitcher does. You know, that that's the job of a starting pitcher, basically. Um, I mean, I, I take your point, though, for sure. It's just that for a long time, you know, baseball has, the selling point for baseball has been the, the traditionalism. And they've waited long enough now that I think you're right that there's no choice but to move forward in those things. But it's going to be, um, it's going to be a lot better you know, it's more of a whiplash, you know, than, than the other sports had as they change things, you know, incrementally over time, you know, baseball's has lived on tradition and, and sold tradition for, um, you know, in that sort of heartland, apple pie, etc., etc., for so long that, you know, to, to really change that. And we, you know, obviously fans have had to put up with, you know, the development of metrics and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of older school fans who, who haven't been fans of all the... The changes in the game already well i think you're right and they're just going to have to get ready for it because it's only going to go further in that direction and yeah if they're smart they would take this opportunity to make those changes because you know like i said it's it's cover for a lot of things um you know there you can you can find a reason to, to make a lot of different changes that don't even necessarily have anything to do with the um the covid19 problem at all so yeah we're well, going to see that's my point they, yeah. they should they should take advantage of that thing. Hey, B,
1: I hope I'm not stepping on here, but I wanted to ask Cody why the three, you know, <laughs> the three of us are, you know, are uh, all, always have been in favor. And I want to kind of get some insight on this because we talk about it all the time privately. But, Cody, when you were down there and you, you saw the things that Graham and, and Hubs brought to the table, at least you got to see it more than any of us did because you were there, you know, and I know you interviewed both of them, right? Yeah, I did. And, and and so could you, was it too early to start seeing if they were, you know, I would imagine the pitching side, you know, they had no problem getting buy-in from, you know, most most of the pitchers down there. I would imagine they were loving the idea. I have no idea how much on the hitting side, but give me your impressions of, you know, if they were having impact, if people were buying into it, were veterans buying into it, and, and, and how you think that was going to, play for them and was it going to help the team I mean nobody's you know there's very few teams that have been slower to adopt this entire thing than the Tigers and I'm just curious if you thought it would would have some impact.
2: Yeah I definitely think it will have impact but I I also think um, Kenny Grant and Dan Hubbs they're they're kind of in their infancy with their new player development roles I think uh, the few weeks I were down there they were still getting to know guys figure out it's really kind of a daunting job if you think about that I don't Uh know can you gram that suddenly you are in charge of player development for every hitter in a system and there's You know Maybe some degree of a blueprint for how to do that, but it's also it's, it's kind of like a big sandbox um, They want to formalize some things, but they're not going to go to a standard You know one player called a blast motion swing and try to teach every guy in the organization the same swing It's a very, you know oversight-oriented Job and I think uh, Kenny Graham for sure and probably Dan Hubs too. We're probably treating spring training as get to know the players, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're like as people. Uh, maybe even more importantly, get to know the other coaches because that's really who they oversee. Their job is to coach these other coaches in the Tigers system, um, teach them how to understand um, how to help a player improve through analytics, through technology, step in more directly if they need to. Uh, So I think it'll be fruitful. And as I've written before, it's really not totally fair or accurate to say that, oh, the Tigers are are so far behind and antiquated. They, They certainly were, and they're just now catching up. But in terms of having the right people in place, I think with Graham and Hubs, you're a lot closer to that. Uh, I don't think there are very many teams out there that have um, any greater access to technology. They might be closer to that that next breakthrough, but the Tigers have pretty much everything now. Um, They're just behind on implementing it, so now the implementation begins. Um, Pitchers definitely more easy to buy into. It helps having so many young guys rising through the system. Guys like Casey Mize, who probably already knows more about pitch design than almost anyone in the organization. Same with Matthew Boyd. Hitters are a little more reluctant um, for whatever reason. Maybe that's just the culture of hitting a little bit. Uh, And I will share this with you guys. I asked one player um, kind of what's it been like working with Kenny Graham so far. Uh, And he said, who? (laughs) So so, so that tells you a little bit. There you go. I don't necessarily think that's a knock on Kenny Graham or a knock on the Tigers. I think it tells you Kenny Graham's time has been spent uh, with a lot more oversight so far, and they're not quite really digging in and and getting to the nitty-gritty uh, that'll come time. It it, it was a little early.
0: Yeah. And Kenny, I mean, Kenny Graham's not the hitting coach, you know? Yeah. Being the director of player development is a, is a whole, you know, broader context type job where, yeah, I imagine getting, getting familiar with the the personnel, the front office, the analysts, the coaches, and trying to start to see what's there already. to start, yeah. Moving things into, you know, new paradigms. If, if he really, you know, has, has major changes that he, that he wants to make. Um, I believe you've talked to Joe Vavra as well too, and I thought one of the one of the key things that came out, you know, this off was the fact that you know Jake Rogers obviously made some swing adjustments, um, went and worked with Doug Latta, who's a really you know well well regarded um, hitting coach, um, and Joe Vavra really seemed to engage really well in that process and, and didn't try to thwart it in any way um, and wanted to participate in it, and I thought that that kind of collaborative. You know, attitude is, is what the Tigers need to see from you know not only the new guys but the people who are already there, or they're all going to end up having to go bye bye. <laughs> so yeah, did you did you have uh, you you know you know you know of Jake Rogers? What were your impressions of Jake Rogers and sort of how that that swing change um, worked out? Maybe that'll kind of get us into the the topic in another angle.
2: Um, yeah, obviously Jake was kind of looking for. Um you know for for a way to kind of break through for a way to become a major league hitter he went and found doug lotto on his own that wasn't joe babra setting him up or anything but he started working with doug and, and joe was receptive to that um as you guys probably saw and heard you know he kind of he finally ditched that leg kick that he's had for um probably about a decade uh, and, and he looks good this this spring he got that front foot down earlier he looked to just have a little better command of the bat um to a certain degree, I mean, he probably is who he is as a hitter. you you got to like the power potential there. If you can find a way um, to hit, I don't know, 220, 230, 240 in the majors with uh, with a solid walk rate, um, you know, they'll probably be okay with that. And I think Jake is just trying to get more consistent, quiet his swing down a little bit. You saw some progress. Uh, Joe Vodra, I think, definitely deserves some credit for being able to work with a guy like doug who's who for anyone who doesn't know a private hitting structure out in california has worked with um a, a lot of good players i think mookie bats a few other guys that work with doug Lada. yeah uh, so but vader at, at the same time he's still an old school guy right he's not coming in um you know he's still he's still a line drives hit the ball hard type of guy he's not he's not like uh as somebody who's going to be a hitting coach for the Dodgers or for the Astros. He's that cap- the- captain launch angle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, not at all. But he is more open-minded than probably a Lloyd McClendon, probably more knowledgeable on the modern game um, than some other guys out there. So it's kind of an interesting blend. The Tigers are kind of all about that blend right now, for better or for worse. Uh, I-, I think Joe has a lot of good traits at the same time the way he teaches hitting at the major league level will still be rooted in the old school a little bit, but he says he's really open to working with a guy like Kenny Graham, right? And that's really the key. The key is the guys coming up. Yeah. How are they to develop as hitters? What will will their hitting approach be like? Um, And so as long as there's not a pushback from the major league level and down, then you're getting yourself in a better position to, to develop some, some good hitters.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's interesting to think about, you know, who who is being impacted more by by this. Is it is it the hitters, you know, losing reps because hitting, you know, it is a reactive sport and, or a reactive part of the game and and not something that you can really simulate as easily as you can just go throw and throw your stuff and and track it. Um yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting question to think about as well.
1: Yeah. It it's it's, it's a hell of an argument. I mean, you know, you, you could you I w- I would love to to listen to you know both, both sides of this because look hit, hitting is a is very difficult i mean hitting premium velocity you're not hitting premium velocity in spring training maybe you are in the last 10 days but you're not for the most part you're not you're not facing highly intense premium velocity
0: yeah. unless you're out there against uh yeah unless right. you're facing tarix scoobal or something yeah right i just <laughs> but
1: for one it bad or you know what i'm saying though but even again moreno was dropping 100 Mm -hmm. but my 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 point is the other the other side of this is is, look pitchers they were only just getting to the point in time where they were going to start going through an order the second time yeah so it it's i mean arm health is as we quickly found out the spring training Armhouse, a big deal, dude. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of money sitting uh, in somebody's office getting TJ so far this year. So <laughs> yep. uh, we didn't even get into the shoulder impingement problems yet, which I'm sure we're coming soon. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's you know, this is going to be a huge, huge ba- baseball has you know for pitch for pitchers. This is going to be. I, I'd be piggybacking pitchers for such a long time. I'd I'd be piggybacking pitchers for the first 40 games of any season they were even remotely going to attempt to play. And then maybe yeah, later I'd start stretching guys out a little bit more. But, I mean, they could do weird stuff. They could say, hey, maybe what we'll do. I, I tell you what, we all grew up playing it this way. (laughs) <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with playing 7-inning baseball games, man. I'm telling you, it's it's a, it's a whole different idea. Yeah. Too. I mean, I get that some thought and imagine how much that would change the game. You know, people complain that relievers have started to dominate the game of baseball way too much. Want to change the game of baseball? Make the game 7 innings, not 9 innings. I wonder what would happen then. It'd be it's it's a very out of the box thought and people will yell and scream, but I got news for you. It's it's you change the game because now all of a sudden you're probably using one reliever, maybe two. Right. Guys kind of pitching complete games again, not as much wear and tear on their arms. Totally different game. It's much more of a sprint. Take those two innings out of the game. So
0: yeah, although it's although it's kind of working out that way anyway. Even at even at nine innings, you know. I mean. If you if you cut that down, then you just get all relievers as opposed to you know a team with two kind of more traditional starters and then a whole bunch of you know kind of mid range guys who can go through the order one time and then the relievers. Um, I don't know. I mean, we we might get to that point regardless of, of what the inning you know length right. per game is. Yeah. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but it's it's a weird. There, there's some weird
1: ideas that you could. I mean, if they play double headers and made them seven innings, it's a weird experiment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. they do it in the minor leagues all the time. They do it in Double A for heaven's sake. It's not like they, sure. you know, it, it's it's not unheard of. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Last thing, code. I you know I know you had a leave before you got to see it. You know, and I, I dm you a few times about it, and I have talked to Brandon about this a little bit, but I wanted to drop this in because you were there to see it. Mize really seemed to polish that cutter up quite a bit. That's a heck of a cutter he was throwing <laughs> this spring out. I mean, that was that that was a game changer of a pitch for him. And now he's got finger pressure and he gets, you know, arm side run with a two seamer the other way. That 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 and he and he, he I don't think he threw a four seam fastball that was just, you know, called tire. He if he was throwing four seam, it was up at the letters or above, it was it was some nasty stuff, man. That was a total game-changer, that stuff
2: I saw from him. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of Casey Mize, man. In my time around these pitching prospects, I really haven't seen, not that I've seen them all a ton, I really haven't seen Mize totally dominate an outing like I have Manning in school. But you see Mize make these tweaks. He's so smart. He's so advanced. Right now he's working a, a, a high-cutter He's got a four-seam fastball. He's got a two-seam. Um, he, he can change speeds. He can attack you so many different ways, and he gets it, right? He was smart enough to know. I would guess he had some co- some coaches who helped, but I would guess it was mostly his decision to say, I'm going to start pitching up in the zone. I'm going to challenge guys up with this cutter, right? Play that off the slider, the curve, whatever. Um, that's Casey Mize. This guy's an advanced pitcher, and that's that's what's going to serve him well at the major league level. When things get tough and he has to make adjustments at the major league level, he's going to be able to do it. There probably there's probably more in uh, that bag of tricks, right? Where where this cutter came from, but but man, right now, yeah, it was it was good, and he had that one spring training start uh, where he really flashed it and looked pretty dominant. I was, I'm
1: telling you, it was. I mean, it, it went. For, I had my my reservations, and you know, I think Brandon and, and I have talked about this on podcasts many times. We both had some reservations about Casey Myers because I, I just didn't see his fastball as a swing and miss pitch. It just, in it, in, it, 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 I just didn't. And I think it's been proven out that it's he struggled with it against advanced hitting many, yeah. many a time. And when he added that cutter and basically, you know, limited his his straight four seam fastball usage to up in the zone, tunneling it with other stuff and you know, diminished its usage but yeah more cleverly it's just a chase sequenced it. Yeah, it became
0: yeah, a chase pit. Yeah, right.
1: Right. Yeah. it's you know, now I'm going, Oh yeah, this I mean this, this I can see the guy's gonna eventually be a one or a two, but now the question starts becoming can he have the durability? When he gets to eighty innings to do it for another sixty or seventy innings, I'm that's never going to see point. him as a two hundred inning pitcher. But yeah,
2: that's still a big question I mean, for sure. Yeah, it,
1: it, I think that he's the type of guy that other pitchers they may not emulate, but they probably will ask him enough questions that the knowledge will will spread through a staff to those that are curious about those things I mean everybody is not going to be overly curious about pitch design it's I'd love to think they would be but but I, I do think that his contemporaries and probably even some veterans there'll they'll be more of a dialogue on a staff now about how, how can I improve my pitch you know my my sequencing what my pitches look like
0: Yeah I think that's how all can I
1: tweet my movement?
0: yeah that's all coming yeah. for sure and I think you see that you know you already see that with Matt Boyd you know working with Norris a little bit taking Tark Skubal to driveline, you know, he, he's sort of the guru at the, the major league level. And it feels, yeah, it does feel like Casey Mises is, is the one at the minor league level. You know, I mean, I watched just about parts of just about every start of his last year um, for once he got to Erie. And even the no-hitter, the cutter was the better pitch. You know, he, he didn't really use the, the four-seamer in the zone all that much, even in that outing. Um, which, you know, for someone who watches a ton of pitching, You have to get used to that because my initial reaction is like, man, he does not trust his fastball. And then eventually you get to the point where you're like, oh, he just doesn't really need his fastball. That's crazy. (laughs) Right. Correct. Yeah.
1: And it's even, you know, but I'm saying that cutter's even, that cutter went from a, a a 55 pitch to a 70 pitch this spring to me yeah last year
0: it was like 90 91 with a little bit of depth and after you kind of pointed that out to me i started you know watching the outings this spring and yeah it was more like 92 93 with a little bit of ride and cut together yeah it was was so and it was so late and it was
2: so nasty okay it was really late it was really late it was like the the greg maddox the last 10 inches of movement's all that matters yeah like that. Okay. I think I think
1: Pitching Ninja has a uh a Rivera gift that that been up the last few days on uh Mar you know, Mariano's cutter and it, you watch it and that's exactly what it is. It's it's the last six feet, it's the last five inches of break and it's it's like he he could he could have stood on the mound, shook the ball at you turned his hand over and showed you the grip and went, here it comes, and you still couldn't hit it, you know? So, uh, yeah, that was that was something that was very, very interesting to me about Mize. And, you know, God knows I criticize a lot of what they do down there a lot, but <laughs> I will, and I've criticized Mize a lot, but I, I, I was extremely encouraged and impressed by what I saw from that uh more than anything. I mean otherwise and it was fun to see Riley Green. I don't I mean it's great. It's it was a PR dream for the Tigers, but I don't get too excited about hitting in the first two and a half weeks of spring training Kaiser.
0: <laughs> no. But I don't think either of one of, but I don't think either of us is really worried about, you know, Riley Green's development, you know, as as no. as a no. general, you know, subject in general. Like he's gonna be a major league player. Um, You know, it's just a question of how how good he gets. And, you know, the more you see, you know, clips of him like working out and doing box jumps and see like the the actual athleticism he possesses as well as the the hitting ability. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling real good there.
1: Yeah, I think you got to love the approach. He has that arrogance that really great players have that (laughs) belies age. Age is almost becomes irrelevant. And and to take that many walks, to work counts, to, you know, it. he he, he put it this way. <laughs> the, the boy wasn't afraid, could, you know, and that, that's that's a big part of the battle, man. He wasn't afraid in the least. So.
2: Oh, I was going to say, I, th- I think you're right. For as much as I love analytics, for as much as it's way too easy to get caught up in prospects, and, and we've seen that in the Tigers organization, you know, for years now, Uh, I've been around enough of these guys now where sometimes you can just tell, right? And I don't know, man. I feel like you can just tell with Riley Green. He's got a certain magical quality to him. Um, You know, I don't want to predict what his major league career will be like because who really knows, but I have a feeling he's going to be successful maybe as much as any of these kids. He's he's just got that quality about him. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Uh, he has that knack for just showing out when it counts too. You know, there's just that... That little extra um, that someone like a, I mean, you can you can see it all across sports, but it's just those people who really really savor the big moment, savor being in the spotlight a little bit more than most. Um, never are hiding, never hiding from the ball. So yeah, I think uh, I think we got a good one there. Uh, I don't want to you know just you know drag Cody throughout the entire minor league roster <laughs> but but I do have uh, I do have a couple more you know we'd like to talk about the majors a little bit more too but um did you happen to get a, a chance to see Matt Manning's uh developing slider at all because that's that's probably the the one pitch in um in the entire system that I'm most curious about right now
2: <laughs> yeah it's uh very much developing yeah it's a, it's a work in progress I think I only saw it Uh once that first bullpen he was working on it and it was everywhere it was in the dirt he was He was not happy he kind of you know cursed under his breath after a a couple errant sliders and that was when rick anderson was like Stop worrying about that for today, and then I believe I saw him go back to it one other time and Uh, he was spotting it, but it didn't really look like it was moving a whole lot So very early on in that developmental stage. I would guess he might need another you know, this break maybe is the best for maybe it's Matt Manning. Maybe Matt Manning's going to come back from this break and he's going to figure out the slider. I mean, who
0: knows? <laughs> yeah, gonna,
2: he needs a, another full off season or something, but he's getting a, an off an extra off season right now, so a work in progress. I really think Matt Manning needs a third pitch like that. The fastball is there, the curveball is there, the changeup. Uh, you know, not a bad pitch, but I think a, a legitimate slider. Is what he's going to need to really thrive at the major league level. Um, so, so we'll see how it comes along.
1: Yeah, I did like, I did like when I saw him a hundred. Yeah, that was nice yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. I, my gun might have been a little hot, but I he hadn't seen him juiced, do that
2: before. that gun was a little juiced all spring, personally, but uh, I don't know.
0: But yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of expected that it, you know, at, at development, you know, once he's done he's going to be able to hit a hundred. I mean, yeah. So that was nice to see, you know, I won't say it wasn't nice to see, even though, yeah, you assume it's a little bit fraudulent and it was probably 98 that he was hitting, but, um, but yeah, you know, I I just think he's going to get there. Um, But the, and the other thing about Manning is that every year he just looks a little bit more strong, a little bit bigger, you know, just a little, there's always just like a little bit more of everything um, every year. And that's the thing with him is that the aptitude is so good that I I just continue to have you know huge confidence that he's gonna be able to find that third pitch and um and, and put it all together. So we'll see. I mean I, I totally agree about the slider. Like Mark and I have talked about this since the beginning, that he was gonna eventually have a slider or a cutter. Um, and I've seen him throw really good change ups for like lengthy stretches of, of games and mix it in pretty effectively. Um, and it just kind of died out on him last last summer. He didn't really have the good curveball all the time last summer. Kind of seemed like maybe he got a little bit um, a little bit worn down with that. But as we've seen, you know, you don't need a changeup in in the modern game if you if you can develop a good slider and a curveball. If you've got two different breaking balls, he'll just use the curveball as his, his off-speed pitch against lefties, and it won't matter that much. So, um, but yeah, that's definitely going to be a pitch that will uh, that will that will be key to his development one way or the other. He's he's going to need that extra.
1: I think he will benefit from his time in triple a more sophisticated hitters. I, I, you know, Manning is obviously, you know, Brandon, you and I have been on the record. We we've been Manning advocates for quite, quite some time before it was that popular. And, but I, I think he, he can use the failure to help polish his game here. And I think he'll get some of that in triple you know, you, you make mistakes in triple a, you, you can get yourself in trouble pretty quick it's it's there's put it this way it's not like double a isn't good there's just more the quantity of good hitters in triple a is greater so yeah they're An experienced the, yeah experienced hitter. right exactly yeah. exactly so i i think that manning will benefit from the competitive level of triple a and he needs that he can get away in double a throwing fastballs you know almost at will and mixing in an occasional uh you know 12 to 6 but i think in triple a AAA is gonna have to he's gonna have to be better than what he was in double a yeah. and and i think he needs to polish
0: yeah i mean i think he needs to fail probably more more so than than miser Scoobel does you know he, he needs uh he needs to get hit a little bit and kind of see what what he's actually going to need to do because yeah it's it's been fairly easy for him, um, you know, thus far. He, he has the occasional game where he would get hit, but yeah, he could just throw his way out of almost anything all the way through the double A level. So, you know, get to, just to get used to dealing with runners on base. Like he's he's worked on all that stuff. Like his pickoff move is a lot better. He's way more aware than he was, you know, two years of, of what's go, two years ago of what's going on around him. You know, he's altered his delivery to hide the ball better um you know to avoid getting you know to avoid tipping i've seen him do a few things on that front like you know holding his glove closer to himself there's all these little these little details that move but yeah he could he could probably use to get hit you know hit around a little bit more than most would
1: cody did you see anything down there that uh, was kind of under the radar that you kind of liked any players that you kind of liked that you saw a little something from or before we before we move back up to the major league
2: part of it Um, yeah, as as I told you earlier, it's so weird. It it feels like it was a lifetime ago. I mean, (laughs) obviously, we've, uh, recapped all the major guys. Um, obviously, Scoobles, the the Taka camp, and was really amazing. Franklin Perez had a couple outings where he looked really good. I'm trying to think if there are any, like, position guys under the radar who... Did you see, like,
0: Derek Hill or or Daz at all? Any any thoughts on either of the two of them?
2: (sighs) Man... I like Daz Cameron a lot. I think he's, he's a really fun guy to talk to. Really, you got to love his tools, but his, his swing looks long to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was a problem for him last year, and it did not look as though it had improved. I mean, his hands were long to the ball, and I don't know that you have to be a lot more scientific like that for a guy with his build. Uh, I think he needs to shorten up the stroke a little bit, and we're now looking at a pretty long, prolonged period of time where he's been a little out of sorts, and his hand path isn't great. Um, Derek Hill Uh, yeah, Derek Hill looked, To me kind of looks Like he's always looked and I've only seen him since last Year when he had developed a little more pop In the swing, uh He's been in the minors long enough I think he is what he is at this point I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually gets a shot At the big league level, but he's going to be a high strikeout Guy, he's not going to be a guy who Gets on base at a very high clip If he can continue to build On the power a little bit and you know there's an injury or something. Maybe he can hang for a little bit, just mostly because of the defense. Uh, but I don't think there are any any major changes that I noticed With yeah. uh, with Hill this spring,
0: it kind of feels like yeah, like you know, a Jacoby Jones outcome is kind of the, yeah. the most likely scenario. Yeah. No, that might be the best case. Scenario,
2: honestly. Uh, so yeah, I okay, mean, we didn't we
1: didn't talk about this, Coach. I don't know if I told you this because I saw it. In, I mean, they sent us some pictures, but I. <laughs> the, the, the weird The weird benefit of spring training is of of, of actually the delay of of the season starting is you know once Perez had a broken leg and no one said a damn word about
2: it so <laughs> yeah I did yeah I said that might have happened after I had already left uh, and I was scheduled to go back down there two days after spring training got canceled so I, I never got to look into that um, and that's you know it's it's you would like to think the Tigers would have uh, just made it public that, 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 you know, top 30 prospect has a broken leg, but they didn't. And yeah. when are stuffed away on, on the backfield the whole time, and once games are going on, it's very easy for no one in the media. I mean, it, it, you know, it's possible no at at one at the Major League staff. Uh, both the PR staff and Ron Gardenhire had any idea that this dude had oh, a broken exactly. so, leg? yeah, that's Scott. Well, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I still wish I knew more about that. Yeah. You know,
1: you, you know, someone has a broken leg when they have a cast on and they're on a
2: scooter. Yeah, but but how, so,
1: many, but how yeah. many? But how many?
0: But how many people would even recognize Wenzel Perez? You know, by his face. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I
1: thought that was. I thought, that, I thought it was funny. I mean, it was, you know, they, no one said a damn word. So, I mean, I guess because, you know, minor leaguers weren't reporting till like, close to the 15th, so essentially it kind of was flying under the radar, but there were more than enough guys down there Obviously, they were playing games on the backfield against each other, you know, so it wasn't like it was some huge secret. So the other thing, hey, so Cody did you get any feel from talking to people of what they were, you know, what they're thinking was about the you know what do you guys think about the draft now that it's going to be it's going to be five rounds is that official now or not?
2: Uh, I don't think it's a hundred percent official. Is that correct? It's it seems like they're kind of aiming for five, but the, it could still be flexible.
0: Yeah, they still said Rob Manfred kind of had the discretion to add rounds if he wanted to. Was what I read.
2: Yeah, I'm not totally so sure what the scenario would be to add rounds either. It's it's also a little weird to me, and it seemed like they just wanted to. Uh, basically, give the appearance that they have a, a plan in place and do intend to have a draft, even though a lot is still fluid. Um, yeah, a well, lot's already changed again since since I was talking to people about it a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a different world now. I think you know the good news is it does seem as though they they intend to have a draft, but um, it's going to be weird.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of decisions from a lot of those sort of second, third round type guys like do i do i go back do i just you know take what i can get right now let alone all the younger guys guys who
2: are you know i think you're gonna see a lot of guys go back i mean um some of these guys say if you think you're a third round pick well you're probably good enough that you think you'll be a first round pick if you go back and you got you know for as enticing as the money is you got an entire season of college baseball taken away from you, and, and these guys, most of them, cherish that experience. If they are college players, uh, you know it's not like all of them, but I think you'll see a definitely a higher percentage than normal go back to school.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think, think so too. Talking to yeah. t- 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 talking to our resident expert Brian Sikowski, and it is a huge benefit that we do get to talk to Brian because who sees more players of this ilk than Brian does. Um what's interesting is he said, man, it's a it's a really, really deep pitching draft and now you're gonna make it five rounds. it, it's, it changes your thinking about how you might want to go about things and, uh, you know, I, I think you're gonna find re- really smart teams are gonna have a field day here and really not so smart teams are gonna go, man, again we got left at the altar above you know so it it, this is you know this is part of what makes this season so unique you know some see opportunity and some see a massive train collision so we'll uh it should be interesting to see what happens with this i I do think I, I, i would be amazed if they go deeper than five rounds because from a business standpoint they've kind of floated that to begin with and who in their right mind is going to go, yeah, I'll tell you what, let's make it seven rounds and pay those guys in the six and seventh round a bunch more money than the $20,000. Okay. I just, yeah, that's
0: the, that's the know, sticking baseball. point is the fact that they're going to be able to just offer on those guys afterward. Yeah, that really does change yeah, things.
1: Yeah. B- baseball is like every sport, but you know, especially baseball, so damn greedy. That uh, I find it difficult to believe that they'll do greater than five rounds, and I, I think it'll make for a pretty interesting college season next year. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a yeah. lot,
0: lot of seniors out there. A lot, of, a lot of guys uh, might might get their scholarship, you know, bumped or cut. I don't know. Mm, I think
1: I think I read something last night. There's already 58 kids, 58 baseball players in the transfer yeah. portal. Yeah, Okay. So it's, it, you know, that all is a whole, that's a podcast in itself <laughs> yeah, right there, sure. I mean, but it, it's, you know, the Tigers look, I mean, it's, I, I think, I don't know if I had this conversation with, I had this conversation, I had it with you, B, and I was like, I had it with somebody in the last two days, and I, you and I were both pretty big Kalenic guys, and it was like, oh, yeah. so if you had a do-over, and you said, okay, I mean, I love, you know, look, Mize is, you know, super sexy now. That cutter really is, you know, taking it to another level. But you still have these huge durability questions. So you say to yourself, well, if you would have passed on Mize and taken Kalenic, now you got Green and Kalenic, (laughs) you got Scoobal Manning, okay? And so now, this year, it totally opens up the, the, the choice for you because, I mean, Lacey looked Pretty amazing for Texas A and M, right? So you, yeah. could La- you could have taken late. You could have taken Lacy this year. Maybe paid him under slot in a year like this, and paid your second and third rounders a lot more money on high end. Or you could have said, "Wow, this is a deep pitching draft, so I won't even worry about it." And I'll add Torkelson or I'll add Martin, or and, and you know, it's 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 a, a goofy ass question because it didn't happen that way. But it does make you ask yourself, kind of. You know, there was a different way to go about it. It's still, it's it'd still be very interested to see who they're going to take. I, I would say that it, you know, for sure now means that it's probably, it'll be a shocker if they don't take either Torquilson or Martin at this point, right? So, yeah, I mean, there's no, no pop up guys. I mean, yeah. I like Veen, but you're not taking, look, these guys, they need to start producing. You're not taking another high school kid. I can promise you that at this point, so.
2: I was I was under the impression it was Spencer Torkelson's pick to lose in spring training, and the cancellation of the college season might have might have pretty much sealed that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know one of the things that helped me with Torkelson too was was watching him play enough just to see that he probably is athletic enough to play third base, and maybe you could even fake it in you know in a corner outfield spot part time, something like that. That that helps me out a little bit. Um, but yeah, with without more. I mean, more information and you know and seeing these guys you know play into April and May it's really hard to think that they're going to do much else yeah other than take Martin or or Torkelson and I I would I would probably bet Torkelson even though Martin in a certain sense seems like the the kind of like Tigers type player like more of a high average line drive type hitter who they could maybe play at shortstop maybe play you know maybe play at center field although I still don't know about that either so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to bet Torkelson um, and I'll leave my feelings out of it. I, I just think that's what they what they're probably most likely to do. It just sucks, you know, to have the first round pick, though, and then to, to not have the opportunity to take the guys that you would want, you know, in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. You know, but you hate to lose, you know, the, those opportunities, unfortunately, but it's just uh, just the way it's going. And I'm sure uh, every team in the league has a has a story they can tell about how this is worse for them than everybody. So, you know, that's the way it, that's the way those things work out cody when you when you left spring training, let will just put it this way how did you feel about the 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 twenty twenty tigers like did you have any kind of you know like vibe for yourself as to as to whether or not you thought this team was going to be markedly better than last year? I think we'd all assume that they're gonna win more games just because it's hard not to um but but did you feel you know kind of a vibe that you like the team better what What were your kind of impressions when you left
2: spring training was so odd because I told people, when I left, it was like, oh yeah, there's there's a Major League team. I, I, I left Lakeland with a <laughs> quite a bit better feeling about the state of the Tigers' organization. Then, okay. At the Major League level, though, I almost forgot, and, and that was kind of a testament to how good Tarek Skubel and Riley Green and Casey Mize and those guys were. They kind of dominated the show, and especially when we weren't quite to you know formulating the major league roster making cuts and all that uh a lot of that stuff was still in the background a lot of those guys were still kind of rounding into um game shape so i didn't really have a strong vibe one way or another i think like everyone thinks yeah they'll win more games uh there was nothing that made me Gave me, you know, great confidence about the Tigers at the major league mm-hmm. level this season or anything that I would expect to be um, way different. I think um, maybe Daniel Norris would be the biggest thing. Norris and Turnbull, I mean I, I think the rotation minus I could be wasn't bad at times last year and could be pretty good this year if guys like Norris and Turn will take another step for mm-hmm. um yeah, you, know, you know, overall, it's just the minor leagues dominated the talk every day, and it was hard for that not to be the case.
0: Yeah, and that, uh, yeah, that's just probably where we're gonna gonna be at for a while. Apart from other, you know, other than those guys making their debuts, but yeah, I thought the same. Like the rotation could be better, and then you might look at you know later on in the summer, you might get you know Scubal or or Mize up if there's an injury or something like that, and and have something to watch there, and and overall put up pretty good numbers, but. Yeah, it just feels like um, it, it's. It, I don't know. It's, it just feels like sort of a never-ending rebuild. Like it, it's felt to yeah. it's felt to a lot of us like they've been rebuilding. You know, basically since 2014. <laughs> so, yeah, it just uh, still a long way to go in the process. Um,
1: hey, hey, listen. When they start spring training up again, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a note that I want you to s- quietly slip to Al Avila. and on it it says, Hey. In 2020 baseball, the bullpen is super prioritized, and it really makes sense to have a, a good bullpen if you have any possibility of winning. So you, you may want to work on this. I mean, just don't, don't – I don't want to be mean to them, and it, I call them enough names, and I'm sure his burner account reads what I say. But, you know, I, I just – your bullpen is such a dumpster fire, and it's, it's, it's like, oh, my God, do you understand how you play baseball in 2020? It's – come on. Yeah,
2: I think it's – yeah, it just uh, hasn't really been a priority, and I think that tells you, obviously, that they don't view themselves as anywhere close to contention. Why waste resources on the bullpen? That, or you could probably insert some joke about learning from Dave Dombrowski, one of those two things. Yeah.
0: I, yeah, mean, I mean, when you've yes. got – well, and the other thing, too, is you just, you know – unless you're in a position to win, you know, the bull, the bullpen becomes like a place where you try out all your other arms who aren't your stud top prospects. The the problem is that you never find guys that you can deal away. And as we've seen, that's like the only, the only commodity that's really, you know, outsized in value right now at at a trade deadline or or in that kind of scenario is, is the relievers. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure we could have, seen a scenario where Joe, Joe Jimenez or Buck Farmer had a pretty good first half and and got dealt away but pretty hard to see either one of them you know drawing any kind of a major haul either at this point so
1: at what point in time and you know look I have a, I like a lot of things about Joe Jimenez but and I've been pretty vocal about this especially this spring but at what point in time does somebody take Joe aside and go Joe look here's the deal until you learn how to do two things. One, throw a slider for a strike for strike one. Nobody is, is waiting for your slider on strike one. It's like when you're 13 years old and <laughs> if you can spit, the easiest thing once kids start learning how to spin a baseball when I coached was, look, you don't have to throw it a lot. The easiest time to throw it is the first pitch of a sequence. Yeah. Throw it right over the damn plate if you can. They're taking it. It's strike one. What you get is strike one, and what you also get is they at least think that you have it. Okay. Yep, sure. And Joe Joe jo Jimenez's slider is just—it's terrible. No one <laughs> honors it. It, it you—it's a hitter. It's a major league hitter. You don't have to honor it because it's never. I watched very specifically this spring as he'd come in for these one inning outings. I'm not sure he threw a strike with his slider. For, yeah. The five outings that I saw him this spring, he did not throw one single strike with his slider. Not
0: one. Well, this and is. I'm going, I know this is the whole topic because I, I, you know, everything about his fastball screams that he should have a knuckle curveball, and and when you when he throws his good the like the the best version of his slider, it looks like a knuckle curveball, but then the rest of the time it's just crap and it's just in the dirt like over and over and over again, and nobody even you know everybody just spits on it and it's not even a, not even a right. factor. Yeah, I know. It, 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 it's
1: a- <laughs> But I would say to him,
0: look. That's okay, a good fastball, though. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, it's a really good fastball. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Every other hitter, we're going to spin the first pitch right in the middle of a play for a strike. Okay? Because I promise you, nobody's looking for it then. And it, all of a sudden, it's strike one, and they got to honor it. And it's just amazing to me that a Major League Baseball team, with all the data they have, and all the savvy they have, and all the know-how they have, they have this guy that is fastball 95% of the time is really good. 5% of the time it ends up being a souvenir for a fan when he goes home. At least it did last year. Okay. It, but it, 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 major league hitters know that he doesn't have a breaking pitch that they even need to pay attention to. And it's awful hard existing on just a fastball. Even I was watching the 2006. 2000 was it 2016 Cubs Cleveland when the Cubs won the World Series 216 mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah I watched the last two innings of that yesterday <laughs> morning it was still quite great and uh, <laughs> even knowing what was coming and I'm watching Chapman throw that and I mean and it's like he was throwing 101 they were hitting it because they, they knew they didn't have that or anything else and until he started spinning a few. I mean, you know, it's obviously he had pitched, you know, every day for the last yeah. thirty days. It felt like in that series, but my, my point is, is that this this is part of player development, and there's some really weird things that go on down there that I just shrug my shoulders and go, "Well, I wonder." Take a guy like Jimenez. If he went to Tampa, all right? Tampa is. I talk, I had a, a long, a long talk with Jason Jason Hanselman about Tampa Bay. <laughs> last week on my pod and we were just laughing about how they optimize relievers and they it is it is an amazing thing what they are able to figure out imagine if joe Jimenez went to tampa you're going to tell me would be not a lot better
0: right well and and it's not even just figuring it out like i mean i think we both agree like there's there are some people in the tigers organization who probably recognize this it's getting everyone to to buy into it in advance like The the idea in the Tigers organization that you would take a guy who's you know a a middling you know solid reliever with potential for more like Joe Jimenez and say to him, okay, you're in the major leagues now. We want you to throw a completely different breaking ball. That's the kind of thing that a team that totally trusts its data and its ability to teach you that will, will go ahead and do far more aggressively than a team that you know has kind of this weird mishmash of approaches. And then all of a sudden you're in the major leagues and you've got. You know, one coach, and now you've got Rick Anderson's your new coach, and Rick Anderson is a a sinker slider pitch to contact type guy who probably is like perfectly happy to just see you pound the zone with with fastballs because that's your best pitch. You know, I don't know.
1: I mean, Cody, that's the kind of stuff that I wish that if I was down there doing what you're doing on the backfield,
0: I would. Mark would get thrown the hell out of so I, almost immediately. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well.
1: That that may be true, but you would be amazed that probably I would be more interested that I would just be standing there absorbing it, watching and, and seeing what was being done. I may write about it later and have certain people be very upset about it, like a good friend of mine encountered last year. <laughs> but uh, but I I would say to you, it's 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 look, I mean somebody needs to say to Joe Jimenez. Hey, Joe, look, here's the deal. On a really good team, I don't care what you think, but I can tell you right now, professionally, you're probably a sub-thinning guy on a really good team until you prove you're better than what you are right now. And until you can learn how to spin a baseball to get people out, you're a sub-thinning guy, okay? You want to keep making $565,000 a year? God bless you. You want to learn how to make $5 to $10 million a year? Here's here's how you're going to have to learn how to do it. And I don't know, you know what? A guy like that, from all appearances, he seems like he's a pretty willing pupil. He, he seems like he wants to be good. So, if you approached him correctly, I'm sure he'd be very interested in what you had to say. So, you know, those are the kind of guys that the Tigers show him as this is going to be season four in the major leagues, if I'm not incorrect, right? It's not as. He said this will be his third full season. And I, I I'm no, not sure. No, it's
0: his. This will be his fourth. Well, this would have been his fourth full season. Yeah. So, it's it's, 24
2: games in 17.
1: So I'm, I don't know how many. Oh, okay. how many I, I don't know how many days that he used. So I, I got a feeling he's probably still got three more years of control left. So, but the the point is, they need to start optimizing him. while he still has value. Okay, if you're going to deal them, great. But maybe your team's going to be good, and you're going to keep them. But the point is, that it's about time he started taking the next step.
0: Yeah, it's a, well, it's about time you try something. Yeah, you you don't just keep doing the same thing. I mean, this is the subject you and I talk about over and over: is the the passivity. You know, just the the willingness to just sort of play out the string until there's no choice but to make a move or to you know to do something um and that that seems to plague the tigers you know quite a bit we've seen that in contract negotiations we saw that play out with nick cassianos and the you know we'll just kind of wait and see how it goes and maybe somehow he'll be worth more you know with three months of control than he did with two and you know yeah there's a lot of just sort of waiting and 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 watching and not not as much proactivity as maybe we we would like to see obviously you've got to do it well too that's the other part of it but yeah, but this is where we just get Cody in trouble. I can't have Cody on here screaming about how the Tigers are passive and weak. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, right. We have we are we've already gotten enough people in trouble doing this, right?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> Brandon and I. Uh, so, Cody, what have you been what have you been watching on Netflix?
2: Yeah, let's go into this. All right, quarantine time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Started Ozark. Um, so, finished, just finished season one of that. Pretty good. I think the best comparison I heard, kind of like a poor man's breaking bad. Uh, like, good show. Um, I don't know that it's, you know, an all time great or anything, but a good binge watch during the quarantine. So, that's that's been the most recent one. What about you guys?
1: Uh, I watched Bosch. You guys ever watch Bosch? No. Amazon, Amazon Prime. Uh. Titus Well-Lever, It's actually really, really good. He's, uh, he's. Yeah, I think he's a homicide detective. He's. It's. It's. It's very good. It grows on you. Um, well worth watching. Kind of an underrated show. Uh, I like that. That I've. I, I. like Ozark. I, I. I'm through the third season. I have not watched uh, the Tiger. Uh, Tiger the, King. What, what, yeah. yeah I've, I have watched not King. Uh, if somebody told me that, that the tiger took a big bite out of somebody and they had it, uh, on there, it might've encouraged me a little more, but I, I've heard that it's, it's pretty out there. So I, most people seem to have at least the entertainment value has been pretty good, but I, I have not ventured into that yet.
2: So it's a strange watch. It's a whole, it's a whole experience more than it is a, a show. I mean, it is, every episode is just weird. One of those car wreck type deals, you, you, you kind of want to look away, but you just can't. Uh, Disappointed you guys haven't seen it, though, because having lived in Oklahoma for six years, a lot of background on Joe Exotic. Uh, there's a thing on Twitter, if you lived in Oklahoma, you're max two degrees separated from someone who could have thrived working at the GW Zoo. It uh, uh, turns out I know a guy who his aunt sold Joe Exotic a bear. So, you know, he was... I, I knew it was Joe Exotic long before the rest of the country did. Um, crazy stuff. You,
1: you, you did see he grew up in Lansing, right? Oh, really? I
2: had no idea. I thought he yeah. grew up
1: in Texas. I, I, I uh... I, I, I... I'm telling you, I, I was reading it. In fact, uh... Supposedly went to the same middle school as Graham Couch. How do you like that? So... <laughs> You might want to talk to Graham about that and find out what's up. I, I think they might. I don't know if they, they were almost overlapping when they were there at the same time. So I did. I did read a few, reasonably. You know, Couch is reasonably humorous, anyway. So, uh, yeah, there were there were a few exchanges about that stuff, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you another underrated. You know, they only did like two seasons of it, but, uh, you guys ever watch Flaked or no?
2: No, you know, and
1: Netflix, yeah, it's good. It's about about a guy in Venice hanging out, kind of like a bum. It's it's pretty it's pretty good. It's 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 well done. So
0: nice. I'm watching uh, a whole bunch of weird uh, European movies that that I meant to catch up on, and uh, and for some reason when when I'm on like a vacation or like when I'm off an extended period. It feels like I go back to things more more than I would watch anything new. I might have to watch Tiger King just because it feels like I already have the entire gist and know who all the people are and everything. But, yeah, I'm over here watching, like, The Wire uh, first two seasons. Um, yeah. I've done that. I rewatched all the MCU movies, um, which left me, like, less than thrilled with them by the, t- the time it was over. I probably should have just left it as it was. But, uh, but yeah, I'm doing that. I watched The, the Witch um, not too long ago, so I went back and checked out The Witch. Watch True Detective season one again. All the old standbys here, really, doing that. I'm still I reread Dune. So yeah, that's that's how it's going over here. I'm just uh, I'm basking in uh, my comfort food, I guess.
2: Yeah, I, I do a good bit of that too. I can honestly, I can be a, kind of a TV snob, right? So if something's bad, you know, I don't want to watch it. So I've rewatched um, a little bit of The Wire. Rewatched uh, season one, and two of Mad Men, which is probably my all-time favorite show. So oh, I think. Too.
0: That's what I should do. I, I saw the first two seasons of Mad Men and then I I just petered out on it. I should go back and, and check out the full rest of that. Go,
1: yeah, it's good, be Go watch that. You'll like that. I might have
0: to watch Tiger King just because someone described it as if um how do they put it? They said it was like if Werner Herzog, you know, made some kind of like reality TV show about crazy, you know, crazy people who own a you know a illegal zoo. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, alright, well maybe I would watch that, yeah. It's the same it's way not, as they watch Grizzly Man, you know, or something like that.
1: So it's not the Matt Damon if uh, if we had a zoo then. That's what you're telling me, right? No, I think that's a different <laughs> ball
0: of wax. Thank <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, you. So, and lastly, so, you know, Brandon and I talk about music all the time. Brandon plays guitar. I pretend I play guitar. Um, but uh, so what kind of, you know, you're being from Oklahoma I think you and I exchanged a, a few things. You know, so tell, tell me what you've been listening to, Code.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. I'd probably need to broaden the music horizons, too, but just going through old stuff. Um, Jason Isbell, who's released a few new songs, had a, a really good Rolling Stone interview uh, a couple of days ago. Um, and then back through some 70s stuff, um, even though that's, that was way before my time. That was kind of my dad's era, so I uh, got a few old albums a few years ago, got really into... Um, in the '70s stuff, I mean Tom Petty, um, kind of the likes of that. So yeah, yeah that's that's kind of what I've been uh, what I've been playing.
1: That's a good rabbit hole, Tom. Tom Petty's a good rabbit hole.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like so the, all the '70s, like the '70s and '60s music is is just great. Like it, I'm I'm you know I'm not old enough for that to have been the stuff I grew up with, but yeah, I. I'm the type who searches backwards as much as I do look for anything that's current. Uh, I I like to let the culture sift everything for like a year or two, and then I go back and look at like uh, what was the best album in retrospect in you know 2018 or 2017. Then I'll go like look through those lists. But you know the the stuff that's that's hot a lot of times isn't the stuff that you know even like a year or two later anyone's still thinking or you know listening to. So yeah, I tend to I tend to mind the past on all those things a little bit as well.
1: Listen, code the 70s was a a rich diverse decade of music i think about like you know decades that came after and there, i mean put it this way the 80s was just the worst for music in this meanwhile the 70s you could start early in the 70s like when i was in the 10th 11th and 12th grade which was before you know you were even thought of cody and you know b i think you were probably running around uh Doing God knows what, but you were pretty small, so yeah. Uh, you know, like '72, I was I was going through you know a few dives on some of this stuff, and I you know big album for me was Every Picture Tells a Story with Rod Stewart and the Faces, which is a great album by the way, which is Ron Wood and Rod Stewart at their peak. Yeah, the Faces are good. Um, that I know. Yeah, and you know, but it, you know, that's the start of the decade. Now, at the end of the decade, you had both. You know the best Elvis Costello albums, which were you know just phenomenal. Some you know probably his best stuff. You also had the Clash just starting to come out. Yeah, the and Talking I,
0: Heads were out. Television, yeah, Patti yeah. Smith, yeah. sure. I, I I told I told B that I, I was
1: I was going to tell this story, but I went to a Clash concert at the State Theater downtown. I think it was it might have been like eighty. Or eighty-one held about three thousand people. Was young, thin, had hair, mark, gorash. I was. <laughs> I thought I was cool then, and uh, I ended up literally in the first two rows against the stage, and the crush was so intense because it was a very small venue, and this is peak peak time of the clash. That either we were going to die. Standing where we were, <laughs> or they had to, basically they had to pull us up on stage because we were going to get crushed. Oh, man. And man! Uh, they they did, and it you know it's it's still a pretty good story. I pulled up on stage at, at at the Clash downtown, right when they were just starting to become uh, legendary. Did, so did you get to
0: has, did you get to hang out on the stage for a little bit the, and stand uh, twenty feet from Joe Strummer and stuff? Yeah, we did. But you
1: know, I was disappointed because Joe was not you know, he was not calling me up to, uh, to sing, and I, I was, it's a, it's a little upsetting, but it was still pretty damn cool, yeah. it was the kind of thing after the concert, you went, wow, did that just happen to us? Yeah, And, and uh, it did, so, yeah, it was a, but it's that's a, that's a very, very music-rich decade, I mean, I'm not even counting multiple no, Zeppelin albums, yeah, yeah. multiple Who albums, I mean, they're just,
0: I'll just say this. So
1: much stuff in your period.
0: For the the thing about the 80s is that the 80s was the decade when all the good music went underground. And I think we're still kind of there. You know, like like some good things break through, but it's, it's just all a little bit more underground. You know, it just became a lot more commercialized and there were a lot less yeah. sort of like independent radio stations in the 80s. There's a ton of good bands in the 80s. It's just that almost none of them got played anywhere but college radio. So that's it, just the way it goes. It, it,
1: this is... Right in the Brandon Day wheelhouse because you know for me it's like you know besides besides excuse me besides thriller and
2: appetite
1: <laughs> for destruction I mean it's like you know he kind of thinned out there was a lot of hair bands there was like you know it, 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 not not one of the best decades for music obviously the 90s were were a ton better the other thing I was going to tell you guys we're talking about Netflix I I. Uh, I've always liked Amy Winehouse, but I I went down and it, I was I, Brandon and I have been known to talk to each other two thirty in the in the <laughs> morning sometimes, especially these last few weeks. And uh, I'd gone down an Amy Winehouse you know music rat hole, and I there's some ridiculously great stuff. And it ended up the next day I watched the documentary on Netflix, and it brings a whole side to her that you just, if you, first of all, it's, it's musical genius to say the least. But when you watch it, you get to see her play guitar and how she created music and how fame just ate her alive. And it's, it's kind of tragic, but it's pretty interesting because she was very, very unique. There's a part where she sings with Tony Bennett and, uh, Oh yeah! So obviously, two of the greatest jazz singers in in the history of of song, and I would recommend that to somebody, even if they didn't know her. It's pretty difficult not to notice genius, and uh, it, it's well worth. It's a. It's not a short doc. It's it's almost it's two hours, but I got a very, it- very very. very
0: yeah, that sounds good. That's something I should check out. You know, I got to hand it to Tony Bennett because if you, I don't know, anybody who wants to who is listening to this can go YouTube Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett or Amy Winehouse and Tony Bennett and see a completely wow. different side of either one of them than, than you'd ever imagine. That that Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett thing is just wild to me because it's just not what you would expect from her and she just fucking crushes it.
1: Oh, she is.
0: She's a talented you know, one.
1: Yep. She's super talented to say the least. It's, it's I mean, as we. As weird as she's, you know, some of the stuff that she started. I mean, there's not many people that can
0: wear sit down at a yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you not many, that many musicians can sit down at a piano and belt out what she does. Yeah. With no accompaniment, and it's just pretty. It's pure genius to say the least. So.
0: As a big Bjork fan, I can just say, you know, it just always seems to work out this way that the the best ones are always like the the strangest and the least like explicable in a lot of ways (laughs) that's just the way it is yeah seems to be
2: so mark you said you've been listening to some chris stapleton yeah i
1: I did when i would go down these youtube you know wormholes a few times i i i had seen him and i could you know he sings so beautifully he plays beautifully but then when i did a little homework i realized that before he became mainstream popular, he had written so, so much music for other yeah. people, right? Yeah. And uh, he's—it's just, just you know, it's it's pr- pretty, almost pretty unparalleled. And I, I, I not, then I start, you know, I, I figured out what the deal was. Obviously, things with his wife, and he's just—he's just so damn good. It's—it's, it's, it, and I think think like i said to you code that you know a lot of when i when i started to listen to country music a little bit more lately and even my son who's 29 we, we were both he started to listen you know he's got a pretty diverse musical taste also and you know what you listen to in a lot of country music now there's there's a whole part of it that would have in the 70s and the early 80s would have been considered rock and roll just with southern you know southern rock and roll Role. and it's now all country so it's kind of absorbed it and it's you know it's still huge it's just kind of marketed slightly differently i, I but you know i've i've gotten back into some of that chris stapleton is uh, is amazing i listen to some casey musgraves uh you and know there's a little you're still on that little...
0: Tadashi trucks train aren't you
1: yeah oh, yeah. yeah. okay good i took that to cody today i mean it's yeah oh it's basically just the that's a more evolved and just an amazing you know next evolution of of Almond Brothers stuff it's
0: Yeah it's, it's like the exotic blues or something you know <laughs> Yeah Susan,
1: Susan Tedeschi an American Treasure dude i mean come yeah. on I, I mean,
0: saw it, I saw Derek Trucks play a a show with his trio when he was like 18 and i had no idea who he was he was opening for the Tragically Hip and he just like tore our faces off you know we were in the second row and i didn't know who he was i was like oh you know dude plays slide guitar that's cool and he just went off you know for like uh, an hour and a half playing like john coltrane shit that i was oh, i knew he was amazing it,
1: it's it's that that's a great wormhole to go down yeah, to yeah. The, the dusky trucks is just uh you're just like this you don't even even though you're not familiar with the music sometimes you're just watching their execution of it and you're you're going. Oh my God! These people are are so crazy talented. It's it's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it's kind of so, like Riley Green, you know. There's that I, little bit of casualness, you know, while all this genius is just pouring at you so casually. You know that that you, that's when you just know. You know, it's like Prince, like combing his hair while still playing the solo with one hand. You know that kind of shit. Just like, oh man. <laughs>
1: uh, it, by the way, one of the few good things of the eighties, Prince. Oh sure, <laughs> uh, but I'm I, I talking you'd be, I, when I was in the middle of the night and I was doing some t- Tedeschi trucks and I they did a song I forget which song it was and it was impromptu and it was from their damn dressing room okay, <laughs> okay? and they sat in the dressing room and extemporaneously played and, and you know Derek Trucks is just he's just killing it I'm going you know I would give like three fingers to be able to play like that oh yeah and oh, you're yeah. doing it like it's nothing. It was like watching Miguel Cabrera take batting practice and just launch booms, you know, four seventy to right center, and he was doing it like it was nothing. It, 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 they're just so talented. It's you know, hopefully, people if you're if you're listening to this podcast, there's some people that maybe you haven't, yeah, you know, exposed yourself to musically. These, these are just some crazy great musicians it's it's phenomenal stuff so t- take a listen to some of this stuff i i hope you enjoy it yeah and uh i'm telling you the amy, the amy winehouse doc it blew me away it was far beyond my expectation of what it was going to be like so
0: right on yeah it. and that's it we all need uh you know we all, all need to find this stuff you know i just hope that when when this is all through Everyone remembers that it was the artist who got you through all this, man. To <laughs> yeah,
1: say the least. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, uh, I was going to tell you that the, the last thing I'll leave you with, you guys might like this with a little country music. I'm pretty sure that Dan, Dan and Shay, well before they were popular, um, my, son, my son Jordan's roommate ended up to be very ensconced in a band uh i gotta remember what was the band that, did, that got dan and Shay was in uh all time low okay, oh, okay. And, and you know he he got to dan and shea through that and i think they slept on a, on the couch in his apartment in bloomington one <laughs> weekend before they were very popular so and now oh. i I think they're about the biggest thing in country music these days. So, uh, I never never ceases to amaze how uh, you know musicians. There are a lot of great musicians out there that are not famous, and then all of a sudden they are famous. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's you, ne- you never can uh, you never can tell what'll happen. So.
2: I think the idea of hearing some of these artists before they hit it big, you know, must be, must be pretty fascinating. Um, and then to circle back around on Chris Stapleton real fast, I mean, the best live performance I've ever seen was Chris Stapleton. And it was at the, the BOK center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is actually a fairly big venue. They host like NCAA tournament games there and stuff. Uh, but it's like, it, you know, I scored a last minute cheap ticket top of the stadium. um, and it's Stapleton and his guitar and his voice is just carrying to the rafters oh. and it's amazing. It, oh. I mean, it's so... Well, Holy shit, like, you gotta you gotta listen to this guy. Yeah, you should have seen him here three years ago before he got big. Uh, like right when he first released his, his Traveler album and no one had even played it on the radio yet. He played at uh, Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa, which is like a legendary venue. Um, think of like an Oklahoma version of the Ark in Ann Arbor, except everyone's standing up and drinking beer at that same <laughs> yeah. fantasy, right? Yeah. And, and just the power of his voice rocked like Kane's Ballroom. I wasn't there, but I can picture it as like this incredible performance when he was uh, still on the rise, but you know, couldn't play in a bigger venue just yet. It must have been amazing.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I mean, and that's what it is. You know, people sometimes come come with that like, "Oh, you should have seen them before they got big." The, yeah. the point the point is to see them when before they got big because you get to see them up close. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> They're still hungry, you know. They're hungry, and you're in a little ballroom. Those those are the best. Cody, are you a fan of uh, my morning jacket at all?
2: Um, no, not not super familiar.
0: Okay, that might be so. I don't know. That might be something you like. They're uh, they're definitely southern rock oriented. One of my my favorite kind of southern rock style bands of the last uh, twenty years or so. Really good jam band, but also uh, just awesome songwriting and singing. That's a band to look for.
2: Good. good yeah, let's uh, check. Well,
0: and you know we had uh, Bob Dylan come out with a song. I'm waiting for uh, Willie Nelson to uh, you know to come with some kind of counterpoint to that we need we need to get the old masters working on this
1: <laughs> since you know i saw willie nelson he was the other night he was on with uh either kimmel or fallon and he you know they've been doing these shows remotely yeah and and, and he was on and he was on for quite a long time he was on talking for like 15 or 20 minutes and you know willie's got to be like 84 85 years old now
0: i think he's more than that i think he's well into his 90s if i'm not mistaken i'm not sure though really
2: yeah there was a story about maybe new york times or there was a magazine article about willie not too long ago that talked about how he's still you know still rolling strong still rolling joints everything at his age, um it was pretty good. I'll have to find it.
0: Yeah,
1: well,
0: eighty six years old. Yeah, he didn't get big until he was like in his late thirties, really in the in the late sixties. So yeah, he was kind of a late bloomer, I guess. He was he was uh like Chris Stapleton. He was like a hugely famous songwriter in the industry before he ever became like a solo artist that was popular. Yeah,
1: it's uh it's a hell of a life, right there, man. I can't wait till they write uh write that book and do that movie. That's just got to be something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To say the
0: least. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to read a biography of Willie Nelson, yeah, it's a hell of a story. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, so. All right, boys. Well, I think, we've, uh, I think we've done our duty for all the baseball fans out there. Um, hopefully this will give everybody something to listen to and a few things to check out and think about over the uh, coming weeks while we wait for further news and report. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Cody. Great to talk to you. Um, keep up the gr- good work. We're all loving your content at The Athletic. Hopefully you'll get back out there before too long. Hope so yep. and Mark, my buddy.
1: B, I love you. At, uh, we'll two, talk to you I'll soon. See, I, I, I'll see <laughs>
0: you at two thirty in the morning. I'll DM you what I'm listening to. Yep, that sounds like a plan. And you, yep, you can uh, you can head over and check out the uh, the don't call it a team build rebuild or podcast over. Uh, are you on the Tigers Minor League Report Network? On, it's on Tiner,
1: Tigers Minor League Report. It's called Don't Call It a Rebuild call it a team build oh that's right i always and, mix that uh, up uh, too long man yeah. sorry <laughs> I, I, it, it is too long and it's a
0: mouthful and i'm stuck with it now but yes.
1: uh hopefully i'll have something coming out in the next uh couple weeks and i got a couple good guests lined up excited to try to do a couple of these wish there was baseball but i appreciate you having me on b and i hope everybody you know enjoys what we put together tonight we tried to talk about a few extra things and everybody stay safe and try to stay out of the supermarket
0: yeah stay safe stay sane <laughs> we'll see on the other side of this thing yeah